A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van. With an electric range of up to 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Qatar for the Game Day World Cup podcast with me, Sam Matterface, alongside TalkSports football correspondent Alex Crook and the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis. Every day when you wake up, we've got a bite-sized special delivery from the World Cup, bringing you a roundup of all the day's action and discussing all of the upcoming games. The top stories this morning... It almost got messy for Argentina until Big Mac and Jules came to Lionel's rescue. Card count back and the drawing of lots almost decided who went through in second place. It was a good day for the Socceroos as they emerged from a group for the first time in 16 years. And today, Belgium tried to save themselves amid a conspiracy of fake news. And Germany looked to avoid being eliminated at the group stage for the second time in a row. It's the Game Day podcast from the World Cup from TalkSport. Aha, good morning, Darren Lewis. Hello, how are you? Can't moan, because obviously this is just bliss. So um, I don't care if I'm tired. I want to keep going. I'm loving it. It's a great World Cup in terms of the football and long may it continue. Yes, uh, Alex Crook is absolutely on the floor. He's, he's, he's almost running on empty. He needs the group stage to come <laughs> to an end. Uh, in fact, he needs the final round of group games to come so that he can be rested, put on the bench for a day. Uh, you're not commentating today, are you? <laughs> uh, no, but I am doing updates, oh. keeping an eye on the Japan-Spain game, just in case uh, we get a result there that knocks out Germany. So uh, I am going to spend... Five hours sat by the swimming pool once we're done. Okay, good. Right. You sit. I mean, it's cloudy today, though. So uh, I hope it doesn't rain for you. Uh, you were at uh, Poland against Argentina last night, um, commentating for Talk Sport. Argentina winning by two goals to nil eventually, although at half time it didn't feel like it was um, going to be a great night for Argentina. Did the real Argentina finally show up in the second half? What did you think? Well, they were dominant throughout to be honest um first of all justice was done with a missed penalty that was one of the worst var calls that i've seen not just at this world cup but since the technology came into play and i think it will fuel the conspiracy theorists who say that fifa really want messi to go as far as they can in this cup because i just can't understand 
what the VAR room were thinking. I can't understand what the referee was thinking, having gone over to monitor. Brilliant save uh, from Wojciech Chesney and quite a key one in the end uh, when you look at how the group panned out and the, the fine margins between Poland and Mexico. But I think that was Argentina's most impressive performance. Um, certainly, um, they were more in control than they have been in their first two games. I thought Alvarez provided a, a real cut and thrust to their attack. And it's difficult to see the Taro Martinez, who I actually thought would have a good World Cup and could be a golden boot contender getting back into the team. Delighted for Alexis McAllister. He became the first Brighton player to score at a World Cup in 24 hours. And uh, yeah, I think Argentina deserved to win. <laughs> yes, because Caicedo scored the day before. Is that right? Is that, Indeed. Is that, is, that the, is that the little joke that you were making? I stole South that Coast, from Nigel Adley, in fairness. South, South Coast Mafia. Um, can I say, but, Can I say, Sam, I enjoyed um, the, the the context of, and, and hear me out here, the context of McAllister in amongst all of those exotic um, uh, South Americans. It reminds me of when uh, Juninho, Emerson, Branco, uh, Ravinelli were all at Middlesbrough along with, alongside the likes of Robbie Musto, and some of those guys who are from the local area. Are you suggesting for a second that uh, Argentina are a little bit like Middlesbrough circa 1997? (laughs) (laughs) And they'll get to the final and then lose to Chelsea. Um, (laughs) Right, uh, a quick word on that messy penalty. I didn't, I mean, you're right about Danny McAlee. Why didn't the referee stick to the courage of his conviction? I mean, barely. Wojciech Chesney comes out and brushes the face of uh, Lionel Messi as he tries to make a save. It's not a penalty, never a penalty, while the referee has uh, been convinced that he has to give it from the VAR Paul van Burkel. I don't know. Um, Conspiracy theories, as you say, already doing the rounds. But Argentina did eventually clinch top spot in Group C. Poland also scraped through uh, to the last 16 on goal difference. We'll go into that in just a second. But the way the draw has opened up now, the Poles are going to meet France on Sunday in what will be their first knockout game since 1986. And amidst all of those stories that we've been talking about with Argentina, we forget that Poland don't usually get through uh, to the last 16 of, of the World Cup. It's a big a- achievement for them, even though they're not a particularly good side. <laughs> yeah. Just just a, a, as a postscript to what you were saying a, a second ago, the dodgiest two penalties I've seen so far at this World Cup have gone to Messi and Ronaldo. Interesting that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think as, <laughs> um, I, I think the polls are, for me, very underwhelming. Don't need too much analysis on this because I've seen a couple of their games now. The Saudis would have beaten them with more belief. I think without the cutting edge of Lewandowski, there doesn't seem to be much there. I can't see them beating the Argentines, who have lots of points of attack. I think Messi goes through with his teammates in this one. Uh, Argentina next uh, face the Group D runners-up Australia, and it looks like a smooth run to the semi-finals for Argentina. But hey, we're trying to predict anything uh, at this World Cup, and uh, Tunisia beat France reserves, so there's absolutely no reason for us to believe that any of our wall charts are going to come true. Uh, Saudi Arabia finished bottom of their group, despite the fact that they beat Argentina in their opening game. Mexico, the victors by two goals to one in the final group game, but it was too little too late for the Mexicans. Both teams heading home. There was a point 
point where Mexico and Poland were level on everything, level on points, level on goal difference, level on goals scored. And it was being decided by yellow card countback. Um, but then Al Dasari's goal for Saudi Arabia during stoppage time sent uh, the distraught Mexicans home. Um, but Mexicans sort of deserved it, really, didn't they? I mean, they were so unambitious pre- uh, previously in the tournament that they didn't deserve to go through to the last 16. It does end a very long run actually, of them going through to the last 16. And beforehand, all the clamour was, give us a fifth game, give us a fifth game. Well, a fourth one would have been nice, Crook. Is it nine times in a row before this World Cup? They qualify for seven in a row, the last yeah, 16. Sort of, oh, was it yeah. seven in a row? Um, that looked the most unlikely outcome um, at kickoff to me, that Mexico would have any real chance uh, of sneaking into second place. The fact they came so close, as you say, I guess will uh, be frustrating uh, because of what they did or didn't do in the first two games. I think Poland might be one of the worst teams ever uh, to reach the knockout stage of a World Cup. And actually, you probably won't agree with this, but I think they should be a bit embarrassed by the way they celebrated at full time. It was so anti-football, this game against Argentina, that uh, they really aren't worthy of continuing their World Cup journey. They're going to get absolutely battered by the French at the weekend. No question about that. And I feel for Robert Lewandowski. I, I defy any number nine to play in that Poland team and score goals because he just does not get the ball. When he does, he's on his own. There's not another Polish player within 30 yards. What's he supposed to do? Yeah, but this is a, you know, they're trying to pick up um, players from all over the world. The midfield is a guy who plays on loan at Birmingham. You know, Krakowiak's about 93. Glick's like big, heavy, probably a little bit, past his sell-by date, still getting in the centre of defence. This is an ageing team, a team that's been made up of players that are not playing at the top level in Europe. And it's the first time that they've managed to squeeze through to a World Cup last 16 since 1986. They're allowed to celebrate. I mean, it's almost like against the odds stuff, really, because I think they know full well they're not the best team in the tournament, but they've managed to claw their way through, Darren. That, that, they're allowed to applaud that, aren't they? Yeah, of course they are. I, 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 I mean, I do take Crook's point Poland are not that great shakes and that's why the Saudis will be so sad this morning because they had a massive chance to be an ordinary team last weekend. Uh, Robert Lewandowski struggling for form, uh, only really grabbed his first World Cup goal in four matches last weekend. As Crook says, Poland are eminently beatable uh, and I think I don't understand why they find it so hard to provide the ammunition for one of the best strikers in the world. If we were playing that way with Harry Kane, the manager would be absolutely hammered. And I think I can't see them going much further than the knockout stage for me. Let's move on to Tunisia against France. Tunisia won France nil. Um, I mean, literally so many changes from Didier Deschamps. It was slightly strange that he decided to rest all of his his big hitters. Um, but France thought they had grabbed a last-ditch equaliser when Antoine Griezmann fired in from close range, only for the goal to be ruled out for offside. Now, VAR, taking centre stage here, the whistle had already gone for full time when they decided that they were going to rule out this goal. Tunisia are on course for a fa- famous win. Wabi Kasperi scored a goal. But it was it was a bit strange, wasn't it? Because the game, they'd realised that Australia's game had already ended. So I think everyone knew that Tunisia were going out anyway and France were going through anyway. 
But after France's celebrations died down, the referee blew the full-time whistle. Then there was time for more drama because the VAR room indicated the referee would need to look at Griezmann's goal again. The New Zealander who was in charge, Matthew Conger, decided that he was going to go over and look at the screen after being told of a, pop- uh, of a possible offside. Then it showed that Griezmann was in an offside position when the ball was played over the top of the Tunisian defence. The fact that the, the defender got to the ball first seemed to have no bearing on the decision because Griezmann's goal was eventually then ruled out. So it was it, the game finished and it was 1-1, but then the scoreline was changed back to 1-0. Now, the French are absolutely up in arms about this. They want their point back, even though it means very little. Can someone explain to me what on earth happened there? Chaos. Pure chaos. I mean, it made for brilliant drama, um, especially for those of us who were trying to keep an eye on both games in the group at the same time. But again, I don't think it's I don't think it's the right call um, because the defender heads the ball away. By the time it comes uh, to Griezmann, he's back in an onside position. It's a different phase of play, arguably. So I think the goal should stand. Um, obviously, it's a brilliant story um, for Tunisia to, to pick up a win against the world champions. But I think it's really harsh on France. I tell you what, it's quite harsh on France as well. The way this defeat has been covered back home, uh, L'Equipe, who don't pull any punches uh, at the best of times, have really gone for Didier Deschamps this morning uh, because of his team selection, because of those nine changes. France were through. They, they didn't need to get anything from the game. So I don't really understand why they're, they're quite so appalled uh, about the fact that they've been denied that goal late on. But... I think it's quite it's a bit out of order on Didier Deschamps, someone who's, who's led his country uh, to World Cup glory, both as a player and manager, to get so much stick uh, for a 1-0 defeat in what was effectively a dead rubber. That's unlike you to give a successful manager uh, your support, despite the fact that they're coming under fire, probably unreasonably. I, I give everybody a chance, you know that. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but it means a lot to uh, France to lose to Tunisia, right, Darren? It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a pride thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's uh, there are lots of French players of Tunisian descent, um, lots of Tunisians who could play for France. There is this um, big brother, little brother thing, if you like, going on there. Um, Do you know? I'm in two minds in this because part of me thinks justice was done. If you if you if you were one of the other two teams hoping a strong France would crush Tunisia, then you'd have been appalled at the team selection. Uh, set against that if you're Didier Deschamps and you're through already having won the first two games why would you not rest players and allow other players to get the game time that keeps your ship particularly happy so I can understand both points of view but I just don't understand why if the whistle has gone for full time why do you want to give yourself the aggravation of ruling out goals and, and getting involved in all of that that did seem a bit strange for me um, my favourite ever uh, post-match VAR was down at Brighton when Harry Maguire got a penalty um, about five minutes after the full-time whistle. Everyone stayed on the pitch while the VAR went through the rigmarole and then there was a penalty after the full-time whistle which allowed <laughs> Manchester United to equalise down at Brighton. It was just like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Absolutely mad. Anyway, Tunisia is uh, saying that it was their best performance of the World Cup since 1978. So they leave with a lot of honour and pride. Australia certainly feel like that this morning because they've reached the knockout stage of the World Cup for the first time in 16 years after their shock victory over Denmark. Denmark were stinking the place out, really, for most of the tournament. And I think Casper 
Hjolman is probably going to find himself in a precarious position now. Um, they've got just one point on the board, one single goal during the tournament. And, you know, I think everybody thought after their showing at the European Championships that they may end up being an outside contender to get to quite deep in the tournament, Crook. Yeah, I think we all picked them out on, on the preview podcast as, as a team to watch. They've been arguably the most disappointing nation at this World Cup. And I'll go back to the conversation that I had with the uh, Danish journal in our hotel saying that maybe the furore back home could inf- impact the performance the players could get into their heads. And he feared, actually, um, that they might underwhelm and he's been proved spot on. Uh, Christian Eriksen feels sorry for him. Such a fairy tale story to get back at the World Cup, but unable to make an impression. Ultimately, they, they lacked a goal punch. Uh, defensively, they were okay. Didn't concede too many, but they just didn't have anything in attack. And I don't think they can really argue with the fact they're on the plane home. Brilliant story for Australia. Brilliant scenes at, what, 4am in, in the morning as it was back home with people watching on big screens and celebrating uh, long into the night. So uh, I think that will be a, a big occasion, actually, Australia against Argentina. I would expect Argentina to win, but it won't be easy because this Australia side have got a bit of spirit about them. Yes, and they uh, defend well, don't they? And what a good finish it was from uh, Matt Leckie after being sent away from... Uh, from the halfway line by Riley McGree, down the left channel, takes the defender on the outside, comes back inside, finishes into the far corner. Brilliant, brilliant goal. And uh, it was one of those moments that you want to see live. I happened to get into a lift watching it on my phone, just as Leckie was sent through, got into the lift, the doors closed. He was one-on-one and then the picture froze. And I got out of the 13th floor and everyone was celebrating. (laughs) I was like, how did I miss the goal? Uh, but congratulations to them. Interesting that uh, Graham Arnold, who is the manager, came under a little bit of stick, I think, in um, Australia prior to the start of the tournament, uh, sort of uh, suggested that his players go home, get a rest, make sure that they chill themselves out because ultimately uh, they've got a big game to focus on. Doesn't want them reading any negativity on social media. Wants them to to get lots of sleep because he wants them to compete. Um, I think someone suggested, what were they going to do to celebrate getting through to the last uh, 16? And he waved a bottle of mineral water and said, they can have a drink of this. <laughs> yeah, I think as far as they are concerned, I was at the game. I thought they did particularly well. Um, as soon as uh, Lecky scored, I did think that the headline would indeed be, I should be so lucky. Um, hey! hey. Um, I think as far as Australia can, well, I know what it means to the players. I've done a lot of work for Australian broadcast media. I know I've got some friends over there. I was with some of the families as well yesterday. And the pride they have in this group of players is just so strong because they've created history and I think everyone does nobody gives them a chance against Argentina but to get to where they are now considering as you say the stick that Graham Arnold and his wife Sarah have had to put up with uh, even though he's worked incredibly hard to get this team to where they are honestly it's a it's a massive achievement and I think well I know if you've seen the celebrations in Australia overnight you'll understand understand just how much it means to the people there i think it was around about 3 a.m when the winning goal went in and you can see everyone doing what people are doing in the uk in box parks everywhere just going absolutely mental 
They're doing well as a team. They're bringing through good young players as well. And whatever happens in the knockout stages, the future is bright for Australian football. Okay, uh, let's move on to today's game in Group E, Costa Rica, Germany, Japan, Spain. And later on, Canada against Morocco and Croatia against Belgium, who are really struggling. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon-perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Chipped over the top of the back line. Schlotterbeck is struggling here. Oh, what a goal from Asano. And Japan have turned it around. Japan off the high of defeating Germany. They've been beaten here. And they will have to take on Spain needing something to qualify. Back towards down the Ulmer. Morata makes it seven with a low shot. And Spain really cut loose here. Spain win the group if they win their final game against Japan. It's full crud! It's 1-1! Rising drive into the roof of the net. There's the lifeline! Dimanchap lead it. Fully gets the shot away. And Gonda can do nothing about it. And the Costa Ricans pile onto the pitch. Germany are the only team that can't win the group. But nobody is through and nobody is out. This group is wide open! Oh, the desert heat is on. Germany coach Hansi Flick ahead of the game against Costa Rica. Uh, coach Luis Fernando says Costa Rica will relish the opportunity to upset the odds against the world, one of the World Cup uh, contenders in Germany. Um, listen, I don't think many people would have given Costa Rica a chance going into this game after watching 
even 10 minutes of their 7-0 thrashing by Spain. But um, there's, there's every opportunity, actually, that uh, Germany could slip up because you cannot rely on their own performance. They've been pretty poor, as we saw, I saw firsthand in the Japan game early in the, in the tournament. Crook, what chances have, have Costa Rica got of causing pain for Germany? Minimal, I think, to be honest. You're right, the Germany weren't great in the first game. I thought they played well against Spain. We watched that at your hotel. Um, I think out of the two, them and Spain, Germany were probably the better team that night. If they produce anywhere near that kind of performance, they'll have too much for Costa Rica. Um, I think we're going to be seeing a similar situation in this group to the Saudi Arabia group, whereby Japan pull off an upset, one of the biggest results in their history by beating Germany in the opening group match and still go out because I think Spain and Germany will both win. Uh, Japan take on Spain, same time. I'm trying to get to this match. Uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu and Hiroko Sakai are doubtful with hamstring injuries. Midfielder Wataru Endo could miss out due to a knee injury. There's been all sorts of problems in terms of too many changes, I think, for Japan. Um, both actually Spain and Japan failed to claim maximum points in the last group game. In fact, Japan, I thought, were really disappointing in their match against Costa Rica. If, uh, Japan's best chance was against Costa Rica, and I was at that game. They were complacent. They were too deliberate. Their finishing in the final third was awful. Um, in fact, the first 45 minutes of that game were as bad as any game I've seen for many a year. Forget about this World Cup. It was it was awful. Um the coach made a couple of changes after the match. He said that we had to respect Costa Rica. There was just everyone, everyone's jaw dropped in the press conference because Costa Rica had just been smashed up by Spain. And I think as far as Japan are concerned, when they get beaten by Spain, and they will be beaten by Spain, that they will have lots of regrets. So I even wonder if the coach might be in a little bit of trouble. Very, very quickly, I think it seems an age away since Japan beat Germany and Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. The big clubs, the, the, those shocks were early in the tournament, but now the bigger bigger clubs are starting to really find their stride. And as the tournament wears on, I, I think we're seeing the ones who didn't take their chances to pull off the big shocks, suddenly they're going tumbling out. I agree. And I think actually by the time we get to the quarterfinal stage, I think by and large, we're going to see eight of the powerhouses of world and European football. I think the quarterfinals are going to be brilliant. Quarterfinals, as I've got it on my little wall chart here, which I have had to rub out and scribble around with a couple of times, are Netherlands, Argentina, England, France, Spain, Brazil, Germany, Portugal. There you go. That would be uh, a setup for the quarterfinals, wouldn't it? Uh, the Japan keeper, Shuichi Gonda, uh, says that uh, facing Spain is a bit like playing a computer game. He said, uh, I'm not sure what will be effective against Spain. That's helpful, uh, as they have a very firm style and it will not. Uh, it was not easy for Germany to attack against them. It reminded me of a computer game. Such was their consistency. No matter what we do, they won't change what they are doing. I'm quite fearful, um, especially of Marco Asensio as a striker. We also don't know who will be in midfield, but all of them are very intelligent. They are good at being in the right place at the right time. Nice upbeat team talk there uh, from the uh, Japan goalkeeper. 
Good luck to them. Busquets is the uh, is uh, one booking away from a suspension, so he'll be rested for the game. That's good. Uh, Maya Yoshida is going to earn his 125th international uh, cap. Elsewhere, Canada take on Morocco. Canada are already out, but a lot still hangs in the balance for the Moroccan side. They simply need to register a winner or a draw to secure a place in the final 16, no matter the result of the other group game. Canada hoping to finish the tournament... Um, with at least a point. I mean, they probably deserve to get at least a point somewhere along the line. Um, they don't want to finish with zero as they did back in 1986. Um, and obviously they're working towards the next World Cup, Darren, aren't they? And trying to make sure that they put on a good show when we visit there, hopefully in 2026. Yeah, and when we're taking planes to go everywhere instead of the metro to go 25 minutes, yeah. Um, I think as far as... Um, <laughs> you sound a little bit downbeat <laughs> about that, Darren. I mean, have you not got an Air Miles card that you can look forward to picking up no, some points? listen, we're climate emergency and all of that, you know. I I love just jumping on the metro instead of having to check in, go through security, sit in departures, go on a plane, travel an hour, two hours, whatever, come back, then watch a game. Listen, this will be a much harder pod to do it out in Mexico, Canada and America as it ever has been here, which has been uh, such a... Anyway, don't get this. that's for another pod. Very quickly, John Herdman's Canada side. <laughs> uh, John, John Herdman's Canada's side. Good side. Can't finish. If they could, they'd have more of a chance. That's what he's got to build on. Develop some strikers. If they do, they'll be punching their way at the next World Cup as at one of the host cities. Okay, so Darren is almost making a sort of pitch to be the FIFA president and change the rules of the World Cup, whereby it all has to take place in one city. Is that what you're trying to you're trying to advocate? No, no, one city. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, this World Cup is basically happening in one city, isn't it? Really? Let's be. Let's well, be let me ask about you. What do you think? I actually think that when you have the Olympics, it all takes place in one city, and having been here. And the way it has worked, I wonder if there is a possibility that that becomes the way we do it rather than it being in a country. Yeah, because I think that I mean, the only other the difference is that the, the sheer number of people that come to a World Cup means that one city, there's not many cities that will be able to hold, hold it, host it. But I wonder whether or not it's sort of like reducing the number of, as you say, climate emergency means that we don't want as much travel. So why not reduce the number of locations? So for example, let's have it in England, but let's restrict it to the games are in Birmingham, Manchester and London, and that's it. And then you just double up on stadiums and venues so that there's hubs rather than having this situation, which you're going to get in the North American World Cup, where you've got games in Mexico City, games in Vancouver, games in Toronto, games in Dallas, games in New York, games in LA, literally covering almost a whole continent. I think the smaller, more condensed World Cup probably, I mean, Qatar has probably shown one thing that is a good idea to have accessible matches, accessible travel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we almost take it for granted. I'm covering the France game on Sunday and I'm planning on hot-footing it straight from there to go and watch England. Um, that is a very unique situation that you wouldn't normally be able to do at a World Cup. So I think there's definitely um, a valid argument to, to maybe change the way that we do it and make this a bit of a blueprint moving forward. Okay, uh, Croatia against Belgium. Belgium needs some sort of blueprint to get out of the group. They face the prospect of elimination 
And look, the old Roberto Martinez, who, who sometimes, it's a great lad, Roberto Martinez, but sometimes I think he does live in a slightly different world to most other people. Um, and he has decided that it is the French media that have whipped up this storm, uh, that there is a huge bust up amongst all of the players in the Belgium camp. Um, because the French feel as if Belgium are possible um, sort of uh, contenders for the crown. Uh, two things there. One, they're on a completely different side of the draw and are unlikely to meet until at least the semi-finals. Two, there's absolutely no way that Belgium are contenders for any crown. In fact, the only crown that they're contenders for is probably a bit part in the Netflix show. Spot on. There was a headline in, in one of the preview publications that I was reading before coming over. Last chance for Belgium's golden generation. That last chance went a long time ago. Um, when you look at the average age of their defence, you look at Lukaku not fully fit, you look at Eden Hazard, who hasn't played much club football, uh, not just this season actually, but 72 appearances I think in four years at Real Madrid. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne looks a little bit jaded. I don't think he's been able to make any impression on the tournament. Uh, and then you get these stories coming out about bust-ups in the dressing room. And I think actually Martinez with his reaction, his scathing uh, attack on the Belgian media, pretty much confirmed those stories were true. He looked to manage a bang under pressure. Um, and I think Croatia will beat them. Uh, I think there's every chance that Belgium will be going home today. Um, it's quite astonishing, he said. Now we have some outlets in Belgium that are quite happy to jump on fake news. I think it's made the group more aware that you listen, the less you listen to the noise from the outside, the better. Um, Timothy Castagna saying, we let that criticism affect us to a certain extent earlier in the tournament. Maybe we heard people saying we weren't a golden generation, started asking questions and doubting ourselves. Perhaps we lost some of the confidence. Um, some players think this might be their last World Cup. Um, it looks like it probably will be for some of those older Belgian players. In fact, it probably should be. Um, the fact that they're still playing Vertonghen and Old Devireld in defence is of concern. Massive concern. Those two players were past their best a long time ago, which is why neither play for Spurs anymore. And uh, both of them are susceptible to pace and balls into the box. And listen, there's an argument for saying they were a golden generation. Did they have the right manager? That's for another day. Um, I, I do know that the French media are incredibly well informed, having spoken to Patrice Evra uh, post 2010, when they when uh, a year when they imploded, and basically there were players getting straight on to the keep after rouse that they were having. I was going to say, wasn't, wasn't that because Patrice Everett was feeding them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't possibly say. Um, but I, I think as far as the Belgians are concerned, they will not win this World Cup. I don't even think they'll win this match. They need a complete reset. And I, I think they need to start looking at the next generation. This generation is done. Belgium need to win to be assured of qualification. A draw may be enough, but only if Canada beat Morocco. And remember, Canada have never won a World Cup game. And even then, it will come down to goal difference. So, listen, this is pretty clear. Belgium have to beat Croatia, Crook. Yeah, and I don't think they will. Um, I think the more likely outcome is a Croatian win. I could see a draw as well. Um, and I'd be interested to see what happens with Roberto Martinez because I think his contract is, is due to expire imminently. But of course, he's in this quite unique situation where he's managed to make himself effectively director of football at the Belgium FA. So is he going to fire himself after this tournament? That'll, that'll be a big question. 
yeah, you'll do a Zoom call with himself and tell himself off, but tell him that it was all to do with somebody else and the outside influences of the Belgian media that have caused the downfall. They need to make a change. In fact, it's going to uh, it's going to be a new manager in charge, but somehow he'll sort himself out. Uh, listen, he may well end up being back in the English game or on English televisions very soon. He's a very personable Everton guy. might be looking for a new manager, mightn't they? Why would they be looking for a new manager? Uh, because they've been pretty dire. <laughs> under Frank Lampard in the last few Stop weeks. Stop trying to get Frank the sack. Every yeah. We're doing a World yeah. Cup podcast. Why are you trying to get Frank the sack? What would he offer Everton that they don't have? Uh, Belgium have got better players and they still look shocking. Don't ask me. Ask Bill Kenwright. <laughs> he bought it up. I'm just I'm just floating it out there. By the no, way, you're just um, bored. You're getting bored because you're at the end of the the group stage, so you're trying to fill your time. So you're now looking for gossip and and rumor mongering to to fill your airtime. You have a go at the, the the tabloid newspapers, the masters which you used to serve for doing stuff like this, and then you're doing exactly the same thing. Well, I tell you what, I, I had a long chat with Maurizio Pochettino, as you know, yesterday, and oh, I think hold on his- a second, sorry, I'm just going to just pick that name up off the floor. <laughs> Put it on the table, yeah. yeah he think, invited he invited you to do an interview with him because he wants to raise his profile because he's desperate to get a job. But go on, yeah. Exactly that. And I think his comments, you know, his love for English football, the fact that he spends most of his time in London, uh, the, the fact he has unfinished business, I think that will have a lot of Premier League managers looking a little bit nervously over their shoulders really? this morning. Yeah, well done for doing uh, Mopo's PR for him there. Excellent work. <laughs> I love England. Anytime. I love England. Is Gareth Anytime. going? I'll take it. <laughs> what a guy! <laughs> you, you literally, you will, you, you'll fall for anything if they, if they, if they give you a little bit of a good time, won't you? I mean, I've never <laughs> seen. Have you seen this, Darren? By the way, that he's been walking around in an Adidas wardrobe for the last uh, two weeks because they took him <laughs> to a game last week. Uh, actually, it was a, it was he a cracking a club job. Shop. <laughs> Yeah, Tony Pulis over there. Um, the, the good, the good news is, is that they did give him some clobber because the rest of his clobber is absolutely shocking. So I'd actually rather see him in an Adidas tracksuit rather than anything else he's got in that wardrobe. Um, uh, thank you very much, Darren. Um, Alex, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy your games today, and uh, we will reconvene tomorrow. Uh, Brazil, Cameroon. I'm doing on Friday. And uh, we are doing England versus Senegal on Sunday on ITV, which is going to be cracking. So I'm looking forward to that. All those games available on TalkSport, of course. Every single game of the tournament is available on TalkSport and you can listen to them uh, via our app. So today, when there's two games at the same time, you can flick between the two stations if you've got our app, TalkSport and TalkSport 2. Tomorrow on the podcast, we'll uh, have uh, not only Crookie, but Kevin Hatchard as well. Uh, So uh, Kevin's very, very good at giving us some proper insight rather than just rumour mongering and trying to get people to sack. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. 
If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.